Matthew 21, we're going to be reading verses 18 through 32 this morning. And I also want to just uh, thank John for mentioning uh, Celebration Northeast uh, coming up in July. That's going to be at Lancaster Bible College. I want to encourage all of you to sign up. It's going to be a great time together as a, as a family of churches, all of us coming together to worship the Lord at Lancaster Bible College. The cost is, uh, is, is relatively inexpensive uh, for such an event, and I think uh, it's going to be a great time out for the whole family. And so we'd really encourage you to come to that. And ladies, looking forward to you enjoying the women's social immediately after church today. Matthew 21, beginning of verse 18. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it, but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive. If you have faith... And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. From where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, The tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. The title of the message this morning is The Authority of Jesus. Let's pray together. Oh, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here this morning, and we pray that you would move powerfully in our hearts as we hear your word preached this morning, touch our hearts and transform our hearts to be a people who honor you with our lips, but whose hearts are on fire for you. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us 
in our faith in you and your power and authority as we hear your word this morning and you would cause us to rise up your church to do all the glorious things that you're calling us to do together. Thank you so much for dying on the cross and rising from the dead, Lord, to save sinners like us. We are so amazed and so grateful. Strengthen our faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at three points from the passage this morning. The first is authority to judge. Jesus has authority to judge. Secondly, authority to empower. Authority to empower. And then finally, authority from heaven. Authority from heaven. Let's look firstly at authority to judge. We see here that he he cleanses the temple. The context here in Matthew 21 is he just got done cleansing the temple and really kind of pronouncing judgment on their worship that rather than uh, having the temple be a house of prayer, they've turned it into a den of robbers and they really had forgotten what the heart of of true religion really was, is to go to seek the Lord in prayer at the temple. And it became all about outward form and religiosity in a way that wasn't Christ-centered or really God-centered much at all. And he goes in in his zeal and he clears the temple in his zeal for the Lord. That's the context we find ourselves in. And so he's really feeling that deeply as we head into verse 18, because in the morning, the following day, he was returning to the city. And he became hungry. This is heading in toward, this is the week, midweek heading toward the cross. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it, but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When he cleared the temple, he was pronouncing judgment on their worship that was not bringing glory to God. And here we see him pronouncing judgment on this fig tree. What's this about? The fig tree here, brothers and sisters, symbolizes his judgment on the people of Israel. He came hungry as the planter of the fig tree, the planter of the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, and he came looking to taste the fruit. But as John one eleven says, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And so he came looking for fruit, and there was no fruit to be found, and so he, he cursed it, and it withered at once. Verse 19, we see here, brothers and sisters, that fruit matters to the owner of the fig tree. This is speaking to a larger theme, speaking about the people of Israel. God is the planter of the the fig tree, which is meant to be a symbol of prosperity and fruitfulness. And that's why he planted Israel to that all the nations of the earth might be blessed through them and, and that they would follow him and Blessings were promised to the nation of Israel if they were to obey the Lord and follow Him. And curses were also promised if they would renounce and turn away from Him in disobedience, according to Jeremiah 28 and 29. Here, I was reflecting even in Proverbs 27, 18. 
There's a principle that says, he who tends his fig tree will eat its fruit. And the Lord Jesus has tended his fig tree and he's looking for the fruit. We see his authority over his creation to simply speak. May no fruit ever come from you again and it withers at once. You see great power and authority over creation from Jesus here, speaking to his divine nature and power. But we also see that there's a spiritual principle here that we really need to take deep into our souls. There were leaves, but there there was no fruit. And it symbolized really the spiritual state of Israel at this time. There was an outward pretense, brothers and sisters, of religion with no spiritual substance or reality. They honored the Lord with their lips, but their hearts were far from Him. Jesus came to His own people, and His own people did not receive Him, did not believe in Him. They would not receive Jesus. And that was the fruit that He was looking for. Would my people receive Me? The promised Messiah who was sent to them to deliver them from their sins. Will they receive Me? And they would not receive him on the whole and you see in Matthew 23:37 just that phrase many of you know this phrase by heart it it always moves me reading it but Jesus just really oh Jerusalem Jerusalem the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it how often would i have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under its wings and you were not willing you weren't willing See, your house is left to you desolate. He speaks over the fig tree and it withers at once. You you see, your house is left to you desolate. There was a zeal, as Paul talks about in Romans 10, but there was a zeal without knowledge. A zeal without receiving Jesus as their Messiah, and as they didn't receive Him, didn't believe in Him, in Galatians 3, verse 10, the Word of God says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Leaves only. No fruit. The outward form of religion, whited tombs, whited sepulchers, It had the appearance of that which should have fruit on it, but there was no fruit to partake of. And Christ is moved. He's hungry here. And this fig tree symbolized Israel at this time. Rejecting Jesus as the Messiah, there was no fruit. Only a self-righteous pretense of a people who were relying on the works of the law in order to be saved, rather than on Christ, the promised one who was to come to save them. They would not look to Him. They would not turn to Him. And therefore, Jesus cursed this tree. May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered. 
at once. I'm moved at the very end of this passage where it talks about the parable of the two sons. And there's a connection here between this section and that one that the prostitutes and the tax collectors are going to go into the kingdom of God ahead of you or before you. you got to understand the Pharisees, the scribes, they thought of the prostitutes and the tax collectors as really the scum of the earth. It doesn't get any lower than to be sexually immoral as a prostitute or to be a national traitor to the people of Israel and being a tax collector and siding with the Romans and plundering your own people. They were despicable in the eyes of the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, they're getting into heaven ahead of you. It it incited them to anger to hear this. The reason being is that they received Christ under the ministry of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner, the, the last and greatest of the prophets, pointing to Jesus Christ. Saying this is the Lamb of God who's to come, Jesus Christ, who's going to take away the sins of the world. Repent and believe. And the Pharisees and the tax collectors received the baptism of John, but the teachers of the law who had the word of God memorized, so many of them, would not believe in the word, would not receive Christ as their Messiah, and a curse was upon them. So much so that even when they saw the prostitutes and tax collectors being transformed through repentance and faith, they still, even though they saw it, wouldn't believe. This is an image of the hardness of heart. It's also a description of how self-righteousness, brothers and sisters, can kill the soul. And it makes us all ponder the question, is it merely leaves with all of us? Or is there true fruit on the tree? Is your followership of Christ a true followership that's producing true spiritual fruit flowing out from having received Christ in repentance and faith, submitting to Him as your Lord? Or do you honor Him with your lips, but your heart is far from Him? That really summarized the young man I was growing up, junior high and high school. Having believed in Jesus at age six, I began to live a hypocritical lifestyle heading through my junior and senior high years where I would go to church and honor the Lord with my lips. But my heart was far from Him. My heart was aligned with this present world. My heart was aligned with sin and the pleasures of this world and not with God and following him. And brothers and sisters, this is a sobering passage here of Jesus' authority to judge. He will judge the living and the dead. Brothers and sisters, on the day of judgment, he will pronounce blessing or curse upon whoever repents and trusts in him. You will be one of the sheep. You will be welcomed into the kingdom of God. But if you do not receive Jesus, if you have not trusted in him as your Lord and submitted your life to his lordship, having repented of your sins and turned to him. My friend, it doesn't matter how outwardly moral you are. You're not getting in. You could go to church and be a homeschool kid and grow up all the way through the system and be this outwardly moral kid. But if you don't have spiritual life within you and you're not born again, brothers and sisters, we need to take note of this. You're not going to make it into heaven. 
My mom and dad were both believers. I would not have gotten into heaven because my mom and dad were saved. Speaking to the teens and to the young people here right now, you are not going to get into heaven because your mom and dad are Christians and on fire for the Lord. Only through you receiving Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and submitting your life to Him. And I ask you to do so. I plead with you to do so while there's still time. Maybe for some of you, you would say, you know, as I look, Mr. Edder, I see that it's only leaves. Well, friend, be, be thankful for the mercy of God, that he would make you aware of it in a time like this and not on the day of judgment and have it exposed then. It's the kindness of God that is leading you to repentance. Turn and trust in the Lord and be saved. I was reminded of this passage in Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father, see the fruit focus, Jesus says. The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And he says this truth, which is just, it's, it should really cause all of us to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. As Second Corinthians thirteen five says, On that day many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see that emphasis there? Again, workers of lawlessness. There's no fruit. You're a worker of lawlessness. You're not one who has produced fruit in keeping with repentance. You're not one who has followed me and I never knew you. It was only leaves with you and not fig fruit. Is it mere spiritual pretense with you? Good outward form, but deadness inside toward God. Blessing comes upon those who receive Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. Curse is upon those who reject and oppose him. I'm really affected when I think of this passage of scripture and I ponder the reality of Luke 13, 6. Remember that parable where Jesus keeps saying to his father, Speaking of the tree that wasn't bearing fruit, oh Lord, give it another year. Give it another year. I'm going to put manure around it. We're going to really tend to this tree. I'm going to come back and in a year, if there's still no fruit after a year, then we'll cut it down. But let's not cut it down yet. I, I want to let you know, I've been on the receiving end of that kind of patience from God. The only reason I'm here preaching to you is because God has been patient to somebody who's been very slow to change. And brothers and sisters, God is a merciful and a gracious God. Let us never forget that. But friends, let us also not forget that when the gavel comes down on the day of judgment, it comes down for good. And if you are outside of Christ, if it's not really there, true saving faith in Christ for yourself, submitting to Christ 
as your Lord, on your knees following Him as your Lord and Savior in its mere outward form and pretense and religiosity and conservatism and moralism and all of that, friends, it's not going to hold up. It's not. And we would be, we would do well to have our eyes opened, Holy Spirit, to that right now so that we can truly repent and believe. So I plead with you, friend, as I even look into my own soul, is it real in you? Is there fruit? Because fruit matters. Fruit matters to the Lord. And we see that in this passage. And he has authority to judge. Second point. There's authority to empower. The disciples, this had a deeper spiritual meaning, Jesus, to that tree. And Jesus was moved considering the plight of the people of Israel. And no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. And the disciples saw this and they reacted to it. And what they saw was just raw power. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? Wow! And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive, if you have faith. This ended up getting turned into a lesson by Jesus on God's power unleashed through faith-filled prayer. There's power for the asking. That's what Jesus is talking about here. You think this issue with the fig tree is significant. This is nothing compared to the power of God. As you ask for it, there's mountain-moving power. Through faith-filled prayer, disciples. Yes, indeed, you are powerless. But God moves mountains. Nothing is impossible for God. This description here of mountains being uplifted and uprooted and cast into the heart of the sea is, is a description often described in this culture of describing tremendous power and was certainly used here by Jesus to describe the unlimited power of God. That nothing is impossible for Him. And we need to be reminded of that, Christ Community Church. Prayers according to His will as James 5 says, are powerful and effective. They availeth much, as one translation says in James chapter 5. Nothing is impossible for God. I believe this here is meant to inspire all of us to pray. And to pray in faith for the burdens that we are carrying spiritually in the Lord. And to take another look in the power of God. I think it's so often the case, and I can do this as well when I look and read this passage, and 
whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith and immediately start to think about, well, there's been times in my life where I've asked for things and they haven't come. So is that really true? And listen, this passage here is meant for you to say, you know what? Put the cynicism aside and look afresh at what God can do. Strongholds that are in your life that you think, oh, I don't think I could ever see this broken or in my family. And God is saying, look again. Look again and think again at me and my power and watch what I can do. You think this fig tree withering at once is a big deal? I've got mountain moving power at my disposal if you'll just simply ask me. Ask me. Ask me in faith. There's an emphasis here, brothers and sisters, on persistence as well. And you see this throughout the rest of the Gospels and the parable of the persistent widow. I think oftentimes we're, we're pleading with the Lord in prayer and we, the Lord's beckoning us forth to plead more and to continue to plead and to have a spirit like Jacob of Oh, Lord, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. A, a, a humble dependent upon God grabbing onto his legs and clinging to him and saying, Lord, I'm not going to stop praying. I'm not going to stop seeking you. And the Lord is seeking to remind us that he has authority to empower us to great things in prayer, brothers and sisters. One of the things I love about prayer is that You could be absolutely physically weak and on your back and be interceding in such a way that you're driving the darkness away. This is not about physical power. This is about spiritual power. And God's saying, you have it, ask. So brothers and sisters, pray to God. Cry out to him about the mountains and the strongholds. The immovable oppositions, if you will, that you look at in your life, and maybe you've even been tempted to start giving up hope on. God's saying, look again, sister. Look again, not at the obstacle. Look at my mountain-moving power and pray and seek my face. Give some time to prayer and fasting and seeking the Lord, crying out to Him to move and watch God move. I mean, there's so many times when I'm pouring out many supplications in prayer where I realize that, My prayers are mixed. There's some prayers that I'm praying that I'm thinking are absolutely the will of God. And it's it's not the will of God in that moment. And so there's times I'm praying things boldly and it doesn't come to pass. And you know what? God's good in that. He's infinitely wise in that. But that's never meant to be a deterrent to continue to go on knocking on the door and to pray and intercede. And Christ Community Church, let us be a church of prayer. Faith-filled, persistent hope-filled, anchored in the reality of the mountain-moving God that we serve, and pray. Pray and cry out for God to move in power. There is discernment that the Holy Spirit is given to you and helping you to see things in the Spirit, and you're sensing things, spiritual realities in your life, in your family's life, in our church, in our world. That is meant to be an incentive for you to say, what can I do against all of this? I can't do a thing. But my God, he can move mountains. And I am going to seek his face, and we are going to plead, 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 and watch him move in great power. Believe him to do the impossible. 
We talked about this uh, last week, but this month here in the month of May, we're really giving this month over to pray for the spiritual welfare of our church. I'd like to ask you to set time aside individually, maybe even as a family, to pray. And if God moves on any of your hearts, to pray or to set aside a little bit of time for prayer and fasting, just to seek the Lord for the spiritual welfare of the church as we're praying and processing things together, I believe that will availeth much, church. And we're going to wait upon him and seek his face. The kind of power we're talking about here, I was just thinking, how do you, how do you describe it? And mountain moving is just an awesome description by Jesus. He can do the impossible. Because nothing's impossible with him. My wife was talking to me just the other day about how moved she is in the movie The Hobbit and the Battle of the Five Armies where this is one of my favorite scenes as well. I think it's actually my favorite, turned into my favorite. It's when Galadriel drives off the Nine and drives off Sauron. She's weak. She's frail. She can barely physically get up onto her feet. But as she's seeing the darkness closing in, she rises up and she wields the light of Ellen Deal and she raises it up and she rises with a power that is outside of her to pray back the darkness. Brothers and sisters, have vision to be that kind of man of God, that kind of woman or young woman for God. To step up in prayer and pray faith-filled prayers and watch God move in your family. Watch God move in your mom and dad. Watch God move in your children. Watch God move in our church. I was praying and just, I really believe the Lord was putting, putting on my heart. Let us pray for more souls to be won through the ministry of our local church. through our witness individually and corporately as a body. Let us pray for more true disciples to be discipled and raised up and sent forth from our midst for the advance of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, the days ahead are going to be glorious. And yes, we are in a spiritual fight. Let's open our eyes to the spiritual realities. and Remember, as Ephesians 6 says, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. And let us put on the full armor of God and go to war together. Let us be a war-making church for the advance of the gospel. Armor-wearing, prayer warrior, and warriorette. Rising up, crying out to God. And watching God move mountains and bring in the lost and bring people from death to life. Listen, moving a mountain's nothing compared to regenerating a soul. The fact that you're sitting here right now is a bigger miracle than God moving a mountain. That's nothing to Him. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you once walked in your former way of life. You were without hope and without God in the world, Ephesians 2 says. But God, in his mercy, made you alive. Boom! 
And you were brought from death to life, never to die again with the hope of eternal life in your heart. Brothers and sisters, we've been put on this earth to make a difference and to make an impact for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're here to rise up and be the true church. Let us rise up and be the people of prayer, empowered by the Holy Spirit that we're called to be. Because Jesus has the authority to empower. And Jesus is going to wield us with great power and great might as we seek his faith. Seek his face with persistent, faith-filled prayer. I hope that encourages you the way it's encouraged me. I'm excited to seek God's face together with you in the month of May. Let's pray for one another. Let's cry out to God in our care groups, in our fellowship times. Let's seek the Lord's face and watch him move. The third and final point, authority from heaven. Authority from heaven. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching, and they said, by what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? It's interesting, the scribes and Pharisees and the the, the elders and the teachers of the law, they disagreed on so many different things, but one thing they were agreed, and that was opposition to Jesus. And it's still the same today. Even those who trumpet and champion, champion the law of tolerance in our day, they all agree that the one we will not be tolerant toward is Jesus Christ and the exclusivity of Jesus Christ and that there is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which men must be saved. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. There is one thing that all the religions and all the false religions and all the atheism and systems of the world are marshaled against, and it's him, and it's that truth. And brothers and sisters, here they rise up against him and they question his authority. This one, this uncreated one, Jesus Christ, who comes and takes on flesh to come and die on the cross for their sins, who performed miracles and showed again and again his divine authority. They saw it plainly for their eyes to see, and yet they rise up and they would not believe Their authority and their power as leaders was threatened by Jesus. And they had no real interest in the truth. You know what they were interested in here? Ambushing him. And their ambush got turned on its head. (laughs) you got to love Jesus for this. (laughs) They're coming and they're bringing their A game to try to entrap him. And he's like, "Um, uh, let me just turn this a little bit. And the truth of who he is shines out all the brighter thanks to what they tried to do. That's our God, working all things together for the good, working all things together for the advance of his truth. And here they try to entrap him and ensnare him. They try to get him and induce him to blaspheme publicly in this moment so that they could, right on the day after of him cleansing the temple, so that they could arrest him and haul him in and put him to death prematurely. But they fail in that attempt. Because when he asked them the question, the baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? They knew that if they said that it only came from man, that the people would riot. Because they knew that the baptism of John was from heaven. But they also knew that if they said it was from heaven, that Jesus was going to call them out on that and say, well, then why didn't you believe in the one that he pointed to? He's standing here right in front of you right now to forgive you of all your sins if you'll repent and trust in me. And they were trapped. The trap turned into a trap. 
And rather than answer, they, with fear of the crowds and in embarrassment, said, we do not know. You've got to understand, for them, to know was their power. And for them to publicly acknowledge, even though they did know, that we do not know, there was a humiliation in that for them. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And the truth of the reality that Jesus has authority from heaven was put before the people to remind them that he is the Lord of all. That's encapsulated there in those, the last parable, brothers and sisters. It's a reminder of our Lord who understands the souls of men. He understands your spiritual state. He understands mine. With perfect clarity, he perceives that the repentant prostitute and tax collector, there's blessing upon them. Eternal blessing and eternal life. And I want to remind all of you in this room, if you, like me, look in your life and see a cesspool of sin and count yourself As a great sinner, there's hope for you this morning. Because we have a great Savior who died for sinners. And a Savior who when a sinner receives Him and trusts in Him, Jesus joyfully welcomes them in to His kingdom. Even as the thief on the day He was crucified later this week, put his trust in the Lord as he was even dying. And Jesus said to him, without him really even being able to do any good work for him at all, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the kind of God that we serve, who brings in prostitutes and brings in tax collectors who turn to him even in the 11th hour. And even your family members who still haven't repented and believed, whom some of you are really struggling with and wondering, will my spouse, will my loved ones ever come to know the Lord? Is it too late? Friends, don't forget in the mountain-moving power of our God to save even in the 11th hour. Put your trust in Him. Plead and go on pleading. And do not give up being like the persistent widow who cried out again and again for what she desired from the Lord and she got it. Let us keep seeking the Lord in prayer. Many of you can testify to seeing prayers answered of the Lord as you've sought Him desperately in faith and persistently with hope. He will save the greatest sinner in here. There's somebody in here who might feel like, I'm too far gone from God, CB. There's no way that there's hope for me in this room. If it was up to man, you would be right. But we're talking about a mountain-moving God. And for Him to wipe away all of your sins and to justify you before His holiness so that you might be able to stand before Him on the final day and enjoy heaven with Him through all of eternity. If you believe in Him and you receive Him as your Lord and Savior right now, all of the mountain of your sin will be removed. As my mountain of sin has been removed, And you will be cleansed, you will be forgiven, you will be received. And we will be able to say, welcome brother.
welcome, sister. But friends, it anchors in at the end with Jesus saying to the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law that it's possible, it is possible to even see these spiritual realities truly. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. To change your mind is a description of repentance. The Greek word metanoia for repentance means to change your mind and to go in a different direction. The way you were living in sin, now you're living for righteousness and you're living for Christ. It's possible to see things clearly and even be able to say, I know this is true, and yet still not receive Jesus in repentance and in faith. And that is held out to all of us as a warning. The fig tree that Jesus came looking for fruit from and didn't get any fruit, and he pronounces the curse over it and it withers at once. Friend, on the final day of judgment, you might think, you know what, God's going to give me a second chance there. I can still live the way I want to live here and the Lord's going to give me a second chance on the day of judgment. He'll see that my good outweighed my bad and I'm going to be able to get in. That is a deception from Satan. You will not get in. You will hear, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. I never knew you because you didn't Follow what you clearly saw with personal repentance and with personal faith. Would you please do that while there's still time? Let's pray. Almighty God, I thank you so much for your power, your mountain-moving power to save, your mountain-moving power to deliver, your mountain-moving power to break strongholds. Lord, I pray that you would ignite our entire church on fire to be prayer warriors. Help us to make lists of things that we want to pray persistently for and to watch you go on the move, Lord God, in days and months and even years to answer those requests that we put on our list. Help us, God, not to give ourselves over to the apathy and to the unbelief and the the doubting that Jesus talks about here. If you have faith and do not doubt, God, drive the doubts away and rise us up of a people of faith that seek your face again and again and ask and go on asking, plead and go on pleading. Lord, help us to seek you through the watches of the night and to cry out for you to move on behalf of of our own souls and the souls of our loved ones and the souls of the people in our church and the souls of the people in this area. And Lord, even to the unreached peoples of the earth, help us, Lord God, to know that the prayers of a righteous man or a righteous woman are powerful and effective. They availeth much. And Lord, I pray that you would rise us up to be a people of prayer and that you would use us greatly in your power to do glorious things together for your name's sake. Jesus, I pray for those who have not believed to believe. And I pray for those who have believed to take great comfort that you have indeed removed the mountain of their sin that once stood against them by becoming sin for them and taking their place on the cross. You overcame. You were victorious where we could never have been. 
and you have saved us. The mountain of wrath that would have come down like an avalanche on us on the day of judgment came down on Jesus instead of us because you are the God you are. And we love you for delivering us from that mountain of wrath and moving that mountain of wrath and taking it for us. We love you, Jesus. We're so thankful for you. Amen. Amen. Don't we have a wonderful Savior? (laughs) Aren't you guys so thankful for him? Oh, my goodness. Guests, we're so glad you came today. Hope you had a wonderful Sunday and that God met you. Ladies, have a wonderful time at the Ladies Social today. And church, have a wonderful week. God bless you.